This is episode 105 of the Hillcrest Duo, taped live and in person on Saturday, July the 27th, 2019. I am your host, Metal John. You can follow me on Twitter at Metal John Radio, and along with me, as always, Mr. Brad Risto. And you can follow me on Twitter as well. I am at Brad Risto. How you doing, Metal? I'm doing great. It's only been a few days since we uh, last saw each other and cut a podcast. Yeah, and uh, since then, we did see um, uh, the most recent big Hollywood flick that came out. That is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we will touch on here. Yeah, uh, we will review that movie with spoilers a little bit later on in this podcast. Uh, We are also going to talk Stranger Things 3, full spoilers. We both finished that series. so those will be our two big topics uh, on this uh, episode 105. But uh, before we get to that, yeah, uh, I yeah. want to hear about Pierogi Fest. Yeah, went to Pierogi um, Fest. Y- yesterday I went to Pierogi Fest. For those of you not in the know, it is a festival of pierogies that is quite popular here in the Chicago area. And I have not eaten since 2 o'clock yesterday. I am still full because I just ate like a monster. I'm sure you did. What uh, what kind of pierogies did you have? Like, what was your favorite? What stood out? I always just love a good meat pierogi. That's my favorite. Although, um, Beggar's Pizza uh, has a pizza rogi, which is also nice. I had, I've had i had the pizza rogi at, at Pierogi Fest. I went, I went, like, two years ago. Um, the pizza pierogi was awesome. Um, I think I like the cheese pierogies. Like, I'm more of, like, I like the, the traditional cheese. cheese, the sweet cheese. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That is my second favorite of the traditional pierogi i but i like meat yeah just i love the meat in my mouth and what is really good about pierogi fast i mean pierogies are cheap usually usually what do you get like 10 pierogies for like a couple of bucks no they're more expensive now i got 10 i got 12 for 10 bucks and oh yeah see so they're like a buck a piece yeah and other places charged more because one place it was seven for three which was a ripoff but you know what you're going up and down the strip you want to try them you have people with you're like Whatever, here's the seven bucks. We'll each have a pierogi. We'll continue walking and get more pierogi. Yeah. Well, I would like to – I wish they would do sort of like a pierogi buffet thing where maybe you buy a book for 20 pierogies, and it's like a coupon for one pierogi. So you could just walk up and down and just try like one pierogi at like 20 different places. That would be genius. The problem is – they would have to figure out a way to make sure everyone gets paid what they want. And like I said, some places charge more, some people places charge less, and they're all 100% independent. Yeah, but it is a, still a good fest. That's capitalism. Uh, you see, that's the what you want is socialism, and this is capitalism. Yeah, well, and here's the other thing. I mean, unlike other food fests, pierogi fest, what's nice about that one is that that one you should go to multiple days. Because there are so many different options, so many different price points, and you do want to try as much as possible. Yep. And uh, this way here, you can go like back-to-back days and try almost every pierogi. And day. unlike a lot of um, food festivals, you can buy with cash because some places you do have to do the stamps. Most notably, our own Taste of Chicago. Yeah, oh, Taste of Chicago is like tourist trap. It is, but you can get the barbecue turkey leg, so I go every year. Okay. I love me a barbecue turkey leg, which I had one yesterday, and it was a very good one because it was one that was smoked first and then barbecued. It was awesome. Oh, and uh, on the last podcast, we talked a little bit about the new Amazon series, The Boys. I did not get a chance to watch any of it yet. Did you? I forgot to. I was going to. I forgot. 
So that is our going to be our homework um, before we cut our next podcast. And we'll, actually, we'll try we were... to. I don't know if I'll be able to get through all of the episodes, but I'm going to try to like at least watch a little bit so we could start to talk oh, yeah. about it. Uh, but that's that's our homework is the boys. Um, but let's get into Stranger Things uh, season three. Yeah. Um, few few episodes ago, um, you know, it, it, it did launch at the beginning of July, beginning of the month. So we are mm-hmm. covering it in the same month it came out. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks behind, but we both burned through it over Fourth of a July holiday <laughs> yeah. weekend. Uh, it was a very fun season just to like go through and just best yes. watch. And that's what's cool about Stranger Things, especially this season. I think this season was a big like step in the right direction after season two. I thought season two moved very slow mm-hmm. and now this felt one like you were going nowhere. Um, and then season three just like really like kind of went to a whole new level and it really kind of captured captured what I loved about season one, which was just that whole like setting of the eighties mm-hmm. and, and you've got that, you know, you know, awesome eighties soundtrack, the, the, the clothing synth- the set design, like it, the cinematography, I should say. I mean, it, like everything about it is awesome. Everything, everything revolves around them all for the teenage culture and the back in those days. Everything about the aesthetics was spot on. And of course, we're gonna drink some Stranger Things Coca Cola, uh, the 1985 limited edition. Yeah, games. you see well, that? Well, we talk Stranger Things. We couldn't get the new Coke because that cost way too much money. So we've got the less bold, the yeah. less flavorful one. So um, Lucas was right. <laughs> our kids, uh, our kids are growing up. Uh, it's a year later since season two, um, and the episode really just I, the season really starts off with uh, kind of picking up where things left off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleven and Mike, they're they're a couple. Ooh, boy, All they do is make out. Um, they've they've they, they've both discovered kissing. Most kissing much is like to, the coolest thing in the world. Much so. to the chagrin of Hopper. Yeah, so they just sit in Eleven's bedroom and just make out like. I mean, it's it, it's it's funny because when you're that age and you discover kissing and making out, we all pretty much did the same thing. I was like, hmm, I yeah. just want to make out all day. It's so much fun. <laughs> uh, and and then you've got Lucas and Max are a couple, and and they're a fun couple because they yes. they're bickering. And, oh, they're the Bickersons. They are awesome. And I just love the. Uh, I forget what episode it was. Oh, I broke I've broken up with him like three times. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I mean that's a little bit later on in the season. But when Max and uh, when Eleven's mad at at Will and, and and they're and they're having their fight and Max is offering advice and she's like, yeah, you just dump them. Like that's what we do. And then when she then when she breaks up with them, like I forgot exactly how the line. You're goes. dumped now. Yeah, she's like you're, um, we're we're dumped or something like that. She's she phrases it in a really hysterical way. Although that is one issue I suppose I have with Eleven's character arc is by the end of last season, she seemed to be a much, much more normal girl. And then this one, she kind of takes a step back. Like she got hit in the head and doesn't know what's normal again. Yeah. Well, I mean, she did. She was kind of hidden in captivity, so to speak, in season two where she really didn't get yeah. out much. Hopper was hiding her from the from everybody else. And then at the end, she was able to get back uh, you but know she was watching to... television at the very least and getting the ideas of normal culture and yeah in this one it's just like she t- takes a few steps back in her understanding of the outside world which i which wasn't um a problem per se it just was a noticeable little yeah. tweak well she wasn't really a girly girl uh however when she started hanging out more with max like her and max hanging out at the mall together 
She awesome. sort of became that girly girl. Yes. Uh, you know, she got new fashion. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. But uh, uh, Dustin, by the way, he's got himself a, a bay as well. A girlfriend from camp, but you don't know her. Yeah, she's Mormon. Her yes. parents won't let her. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can't really talk to her because she's Mormon and her parents. Listen, I, I mean, look, she, she'll, she'll pick up. I'm telling you. I yes. liked that. that um, uh, They were leaving, leading you, at least in the beginning, to believe that there's no girl. Yeah. He's just hopelessly alone like Will. Just talking to himself. Yeah. Poor guy. I like Dustin. Oh, no, um, he's one of the, he's Him and, um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Steve are the best part of this series. Yeah. Their well, friendship. And, and the whole first episode is just, in my opinion, that it was just, like, so well put together. Because you get a quick, like, update on all the characters. You see the setting. You see, like... The mall is in Hawkins now, and everything's yep. out of business, and everybody hangs out at the mall, and the mall's got everything. It's got the movie theater. It's got the food court. It's got all the stores. It's got everything you could possibly want, and you don't have to go outside. Yeah, and who wants to be outside <laughs> in the summer? Yeah, so um, Star Court Mall is, is, uh, is An there. An operating mall, I believe, down in Atlanta. Yeah, it is a real mall, but it's I don't think it's called Star Court. I think no, it's, it's not called that, that. They changed. I did see some set photos, like you know, because they took a wing of of the mall yeah. that they actually used, and they closed off an entire wing to give it a facelift to make it look '80s with the big neon signs. That is awesome. I, I hope they left it. I think that'd be cool if they actually left that wing of the mall exactly. It would It'd be kind of hard because some of the stores that um uh, were featured are no longer stores no more. Yeah. There's oh, no I mean, more Sam Goody. Oh, Sam Goody. <laughs> I was going to say, that's one thing about this show. Like, I was, especially all of the scenes at the mall, I was always checking the background to see what I would spot. And, yeah, Sam Goody always stood out because uh, that was, that was, that's where that you was got, a must-go-to. That's Anytime where you got you your jams. Mall, you had to go to the Sam Goody store. You got you your had, jams there. And Spencer Gifts was another one for me, like, growing up. They like, still exist, though. Yeah. Uh, it's still a must-go-to for me. But Steve, um, yeah. as handsome as he is, why – I mean, that's there's my first problem. There. How did he land a job serving ice cream at well, the mall food court? Like, as handsome as that guy is and as cool as yeah, that guy is have, um, and as likable as he is, he should have been, like, store manager of Sam Goody or something. No, he should have been at Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, But uh, let's take a look at um, Steve's character arc. He was the douchebag for the first three quarters of the first season. Just the douchebag asshole. And yes. now he's a puppy dog. Yeah. I just love that. You know what? That is a character arc because he was misunderstood. And people thought maybe that's what would be happening with Billy from season two. Turns out they had a different idea for him. Yeah. And, and Steve is... Well, the thing is with Steve is I don't know if they've always – if the Duffner brothers actually plan for Steve to become like like kind of like the mentor to the kids and like the, the big brother. You see, I think – Like I, I, I don't – I really think that the fan base that loved Steve is what had made Steve became what he did. I think mm. they were like, oh, the fans love this guy. They love his – they love how he was like driving the kids around and helping them. Like, but that you know, was more season two when that started happening. And season one, he didn't get to do that kind of fun stuff. It would have had to have been between season one and season two. And as you'll recall, they said they had a four-season arc 
plan for this entire thing. So I'm going to take it that this was always the plan for Steve. Yeah. That's my view. You could very well be right that they didn't realize how popular he'd be after the end of season one, so they started making tweaks in season two and season three just complete um, uh, character change complete. Yeah. But no, I, I, I – They even I, make reference to him being a dick in high school. Yeah. And, by the way, if you go to Baskin-Robbins, you can get the butterscotch, the USS butterscotch uh, yeah. ice cream. I bought a quart of it. It is very good. I'm a butterscotch guy. I do well, they have. They also have the chocolate peanut butter one, which I had, which was awesome. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the the USS butter. I love chocolate and peanut really butter. Good. Reese's peanut butter cups is life. Yeah. But let's um, um get into the, let's get into what the problem of this season is, as we've been just kind of spinning our wheels, and basically the mind flayer, he's back, and he's found a new vessel because Will rejected him, and yep. he's found Billy. Billy, the lifeguard at the uh, at the pool, Max's all the, older brother, that all the, that all the cougars <laughs> are in love with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Billy, uh, Billy's the new host, and he uh, and he's got to go out and recruit. Yeah, he's he's it's a recruitment drive, and I suppose I want let's just jump into my one at least somewhat comical problem. If you're the mind flayer and you've been given another chance. Why would you go after someone in Hawkins? Go a town over and yes. not deal with that Lady Eleven, not deal with Steve, not deal with Will. Go to another town where they have no idea what's going on because you're clearly mobile. So find another town to at least start with until they you have the unstoppable, unstoppable army. But no, because you have the hard-on for revenge on Eleven and Will – you have to go after Hawkins again. You stupid and you played yourself. Yep. Uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. I'm like, why are you starting with Hawkins? Go somewhere in Ohio. Go down in Atlanta where, or um, Alabama where there's a bunch of rubes. Yep. I, and I'm sorry. To I guess it was just easier to recruit locally because you don't have to go as far. I don't know. I don't know either. But we, not... I mean, we still also get the feel from – the show that Hawkins is like the middle mouth. of nowhere, Indiana, yeah. where that is the big town where it's at. Like there is nothing else. You yeah, know? I guess. Um, so we kind of get that. But, um, you know, of course, Nancy, of all people, is sort of on to the mysterious things mm-hmm. going on in Hawkins, which which I find a little weird because like the, she's the, Nancy Drew. Yeah, she's no she knows everything. And um. uh Jonathan is also a photographer at the um, at the newspaper, and um, I saw a tweet this morning that made me want to crumble into dust. Actually, that was what the tweet said. What was why, why was Jonathan um, uh, developing pictures in that red room? What was the red light for? Not um, knowing what a dark room is, some stupid less less than millennial. Oh, uh, mm. do you feel old now? Yes. <laughs> Why doesn't he just plug in his camera and upload Yeah, them? just plug it in, upload those photos. Come on, John. Jeez. The Red Room. <laughs> it's like Twin Peaks. Yes. Um. Yeah, let's talk about the newspaper company. Hmm, what a <laughs> fun setting that was. That was. Especially a, for Nancy. <laughs> that, well, it was the 80s. Yeah. But, uh, but no, you didn't think it'd be that 80s, did you? No. But I, the I did, Me Too I did, movement has not come to Hawkins. I 
I do. I did like Jake Busey's character though. He was really entertaining. Just his one-liners about oh, yeah, Nancy the, Drew, the, the douchebag um, reporter. Yeah. Um, that, well, that, and you have to remember they had to make them be as jerky as possible even before they became mind flayed. Yeah. So when they got killed later on, you'd be like, you know what? It's unfortunate they were um, a part of a, um, a collective that was trying to destroy the world, but in the end, they were j- douchebags, so meh. Well, all the tweens that were watching it, at least you get a taste of what an internship is really like. Oh, yeah. Um, that's what <laughs> I, I had, I've told you this before. I'll tell you it again. I had a buddy who was a intern for Man Cow Muller, and he would like call you at 2 a.m. to do things. Oh, Jesus. He was a jerk, from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, I've had my share of internships, too. I, I never, I would say, you know, with our radio background, I mean, I did an internship at, at the radio station group that, that we both still work for. I did an internship there, and that was actually a fun internship. You worked mostly with promotions, going to events, being the guy on the street, handing out bumper stickers, mm-hmm. doing things like that. Um, but in the office, there's not a whole lot for you to do as nope. an intern other than the crap work that nobody else wants to do, which is, hey, I need you to go make 300 copies of this. Um, can you please, like, cut up these entry forms and organize them really neat and, you know, print up this and put it on a box for enter here to win? Like, you had to do a lot of, like, little, like, grunt stuff work. like that, grunt work. I mean, obviously, you never got talked down to like no. Nancy Drew did. But you know what? If you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, this is what an internship is like, at least you're prepared because it's not going to be that bad, but you're going to have to do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. But let's um, continue, I bet, until more of the Mind Flayer and, I suppose, the Russians, the two main antagonists of this series, plans. Obviously, the Mind Flayer's plan is to take control of as many people in the town as possible, and the Russians just want to... You weaponize the upside down. Yep. And going back to your point, why are how does nobody notice all these Russians and Hawkins and? Well, know? they <laughs> obviously are coming in uh, discreetly, and they have this massive, massive. How did they, that's the big question? How did they build that massive underground laboratory? But in the one year since the last time everything happened. Yeah, well, I that's was... The, I that's was, like a five-year project there. Well, I was sort of thinking they were using the old lab from, like, season one, where Eleven was created, basically. Like, and she was... Like, I thought they were using that base. I think it was a different one, but I but don't it, know. Yeah, I mean... But regardless, really... that's like a ten-year project underground area. People would notice. Yes, I, I agree. I realize maybe the people of Hawkins might not but, be that know, bright because let's take a look at the mayor they elected. Typical pro- prototype 80s douchebag politician. Just obviously probably some former kind of banker. Just a jerk. Yep. I just loved his style because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's 80s kind of business chic jerk fashion. Yep. And let's talk about Alexi. Alexi's the, the, the friendly Russian that everybody seems to love. The MVP. I, yeah, I mean, him and his cherry Slurpees. Uh, everybody seemed to love Lexi. I see a lot of memes about Lexi and the cherry Slurpee all the time. Um, but hey, are you a cherry Slurpee? Like, what's your Slurpee flavor at 7-Eleven? I think I go with the cherry because they only have two nowadays really anyway at any one I time. thought some of them had like a bunch like some of the 7-elevens that like used to have like 12 or 13 maybe i don't know i th- i i i, I like to make mixing 
just get some from this one, get some from this one. Get the suicide? They, yes, as I was about to say, the suicide. But yeah, so uh, Purple. I liked purple. Grape. All right. But so they interrogate Lexi and try to... Break him, and they don't really need to do much to break him because he's just a nice guy. Yeah. And doesn't want to die. But, uh, you know, let's fast forward a bit through the season. I mean, basically the moral of the story is, you know, you've got the Russians are, are you know, obviously hiding uh, the mm-hmm, fact that, mm-hmm. you know, they've got, like, the key, I guess, to open this portal. And, and it has to be stopped. And it has to be stopped because they're letting things in and letting things out. And they're all stranger. Yes, and... <laughs> We have to talk about one more thing, as obviously it ends with Hopper having to, well, make a sacrifice. Whether he's dead or not, we can uh, speculate on. But his, him and um, uh, Will's mom going on their own adventure. In fact, you can say most of the advancement in story happened in this series because of the, the woman characters. You have Joyce um, uh, pushing um, Hopper on. You have Eleven and Max pushing the story on for um, one half of the kids. And you have, as I'm now um, uh, spacing on her name, that was with Steve. And I'm uh, completely embarrassed. Um, What was her name? Nancy? No, not Nancy. Down with Steve and... um, uh... Oh, the other girl that uh, works at Scoops. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I forgot her name. Okay, you forgot her name, too, but she um, helps advance the story there, and Robin. obviously Nancy advances it. So all the story advancement is happening because of the women in this movie, in this series. Yep. And I thought that was kind of a very interesting uh, plot point to make, because it's very, very apparent after a couple episodes. Yeah, and, and, and you kind of have those unsung heroes of this show. Like, you're expecting Eleven to be... To be the hero because she has the powers. Yep. You're expecting, she you know, had. Will to maybe with his connection to these to these beings. I was like, disappointed with what they did with Will, by the way. Yeah, making him the fifth wheel and. Oh, <laughs> uh, and he has to wear the those horrible '80s shorts that don't that are just kind of just past your underwear. Oh yeah. Mm. Poor kid, and he has the bowl cut, and it's just. He's the one who it hasn't grown up yet, and you really can't blame him because he spent a couple weeks in the upside down. He has yeah. the, the kid has PTSD. Let's be honest. And as the series wraps up, um, we see at the end, uh, thirty people in Hawking's have, have passed away. They believe it was just an explosion at the mall. So apparently, <laughs> like the idea, the government, that the lying. monster isn't. No, th- nothing to see here, folks. It was just an explosion at the mall. Um, but the mayor got arrested. Eleven doesn't have her powers anymore. Um, Hopper assume, might be dead. We assume Hopper's dead, but then we get that weird. Not the American, yes. Yes, not the American part at the uh, in the credits where we don't know who the American is. Is it Hopper? We assume it probably is. Yes. But, you know, David Harbour is a, a big actor now. So, yeah. I mean, is he really going to come back Alexi. for another season? You know, um, so that's the big question is, is Hopper really dead? That's where it kind of leaves you. And Eleven, is her powers gone for good? Is she just a normal girl now? Or and she's been adopted by the Briars. And and of course, going into next season, we already know the portal's not closed. Of course. So you know, like. But we were this told damn that portal. 
We, well, we were told <laughs> how many it was, years is it going to take to figure out how to close it? We were told it was four, so let's see how they um if the one if the Duffer brothers stay true to their word and say nope, it's four seasons and four seasons only. We ain't doing prison break. Yep. But we'll that, we'll that, that'll be interesting. But let us move on to the most recent big Hollywood premiere, and that is the latest from Quentin Tarantino, and that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, spoilers, by the way. We're, oh, yeah. we're going to spoil this one. spoilers. We both saw it Thursday night, and there is a lot of conflicted feelings about this movie um, in the online community. Yeah, well, I mean, just about any movie. I mean, you're either going to like it, you're going to hate it, you're going to love it. Um, Tarantino kind of has that line in the sand with each one of his movies. I mean, some people look at a few of his movies as being like... Masterpieces. Masterpieces. And then they look at some of his other movies and say those are garbage. Yep. Um, I, on the other hand, I mean, I love everything Tarantino does. I honestly can say I love every single one of his movies, including the Grindhouse double feature, including the one half of From Dust Till Dawn he did. Like, I love everything Tarantino has done. Do you include Jackie Brown? Yes. I love Jackie Brown, too. Just making sure you include that in your list, that's all, because it was just obviously written by him. Yes. Um, I, I But this was... Do, uh, I, I mean, and of course, and I even said this on our last podcast, going into this movie, I already knew I was going to love it. I just didn't know how much I was going to love it. And I feel like I loved it so much that I went and saw it a second time last night. Yeah. Um, which I feel like with Tarantino movies, especially the these ones like Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bills, like... I, w- when you and even Inglorious Bastard, all of his movies, I feel like you have to watch them at least twice because you get the you watch it the first time just to absorb what's happening. The second time, you have to pay attention to the dialogue. You have to pay attention to what the characters do. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the cinematography. Like you have, there's so yes. much more that that you pick up on the second time you see it. And the second viewing for me, I loved it more, like ten times more than the first viewing. Quentin Tarantino's movies are a, a feast, no doubt about that. But let's talk about why a lot of people are kind of upset about this one is because people are just saying, what was the point? That is a meant the best way it can be described as is you spend two hours and 30 minutes getting to know these two characters for a 15-minute payoff where he rewrites history. And stops the murder of Sharon Tate. Yeah, well, that's I look. The, I, that's the most base way you can look at it. All right. Well, I look at this movie as three acts. Okay. It technically is. Uh, your first act is getting All to know everybody. Three acts. Huh? All movies are three acts. Yeah, but I'm saying like I, I mean, when you look at how detailed his three yes. acts are, like so the first act you're really getting to know these guys. Uh, you. you you kind of see, like, you know, you got the movie star, you got the best buddy, you know, stunt, stunt double, double, which there's my first problem with the movie. Is, and it's a minor one. I was yeah. like, why would you, big time movie star, let your best buddy, stunt double, driver, Mr. Do It All, live in a trailer out by well, driving down an alley? You've got this mansion in the Hollywood Hills. He should be living. He should be in your guest house. Well, because he's. Well, I suppose that's one thing you could say is maybe he's really not that good of a friend. That's true. He's. I think kind you of, kind of hint at that a little yes, bit. Yes, he's kind of a yeah, phony. Like you friend. could tell. Oh, like this is your best. Like you're a movie star. How much are you paying this guy? It's more of a one-way friend? street. Yeah. 
but he still likes him, and maybe um, uh, Cliff has a bit of a codependency problem, too. Yeah. Especially after maybe he killed his wife, maybe, maybe not. And, and I could see, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to defend people that have problems with the movie, but, I mean, I could see, like, some of the complaints, like, maybe this movie doesn't have the humor that some of other Tarantino movies do, but at the same time, like, Jackie Brown. I love Jackie Brown. That movie's not hysterical. Oh. Like it's got a few funny moments. Kill Bill doesn't. Is it funny? Nope. I mean, I mean, like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction has has more comedy, you know. Than I mean, I would say Pulp Fiction probably has the most amount of comedy in all of his movies, and you can't expect him to do ten Pulp Fiction movies. Um, this Why one does man? have a lot more humor than you think. Um, no, I love it's dry subtle humor. moments. I mean, just like even in the beginning where he tells Leo, he's like, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. <laughs> just, I mean, who's like, why would you say that? <laughs> What's the point of that? I mean, but it's funny the way it's delivered and written. And it, it's sort of like one of those like friend react. Like, how do I tell this guy not to, Hey, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, 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 and the thing is, is like a lot of people look at Django as one of those movies that like, oh, Tarantino like wrote this movie that was extremely vulgar. They dropped the N word like 50 times. They didn't say the, the word once in this movie. No. I mean, so Tarantino isn't one of those guys that uses like bad language to try to like drive an audience reaction. I mean, he wants to tell a, a, a good story, his story. Yes. And this film, I felt like. I, I'm a big fan of the movie Boogie Nights, the P.T. Anderson movie. Yes. I felt like this was Tarantino's Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a movie it's... about the film industry, it's about actors, and it's about struggling with, you know, getting the next job, where's your future going, um, and, you know, obviously Boogie Nights was more set around the porn industry, this is yeah. more set around... The late 60s, the, and, the, and the this guy's kind of, industry. he's typecast as like a cowboy, a TV show cowboy, yep. and he can't break away from that. His agent, played by Al Pacino, is like, hey man, like, go do spaghetti westerns, get out of, go to Rome, go do this, and he doesn't want to do that. It's like, he wants to be a big actor, but yet, he doesn't want to go be an actor. <laughs> well, that's a, actually, what I suppose one of my issues is, there are so many things that I think could have been a really cool movie because he makes mention of um, how he ruined Bounty Law trying to become a movie star. I'm like, I would have paid to see that movie of him uh, being on Bounty Law and then going after the movies and just that turmoil. That would have been a fun movie. Yeah. There are so many great movie ideas that when you hear about them in this movie, you're like, oh, I'd pay to see that. I'd pay to see that. I'd pay to see that. Yeah. And and the thing is with this movie, and you could tell – I mean, you could – I. Notice it even more in the second is obviously this is Tarantino's tribute to the movies. Yes, and 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 I say that because not only is the movie is this movie written directed by Tarantino set in Hollywood in the late '60s, but it's about an actor, it's about a stuntman, and and it's about the struggles. And then at the same time, like every shot, whenever a car's driving down the road in Hollywood. There's a movie poster in the background. Yes. There's the title of a movie. I mean, everything is about the movies in this movie. Which mm-hmm. is, I mean, even the scene where you got Sharon Tate walking through Hollywood, and she's, like, looking at the movie theater at the marquee, and then once she's standing there, you got all these movie posters in the background. And then across the street, there's, like, a whole other movie theater with yep. another movie playing. I mean, and then 
when the narrator, which is yeah. Kurt, Russell, Kurt Russell, who's awesome, and he's narrating all the spaghetti westerns that he did, it's like the movie posters are so detailed and, mm-hmm. and, and, and he's so talking much so about that Eddie. you thought, thought some of them are real. Exactly. I mean, there's just like so much about movies in this movie. And, and I, that's so the reason why I love it is like, you could tell that this is like Tarantino's like tribute to Hollywood tribute to the movie business and movies in general. And like you said, people that, are not going to like this movie are people that are looking for like a beginning, middle, and end. Which and this, this does really, not have. It really doesn't have it. It's got your axe, but yet until you see the movie once and then go and prepare yourself to see it a second time, you don't, really don't even know where the axe separate themselves. But, I mean, I, I know we're getting short on time yep. here, but Let's, I really um, want to cut to the third act real Yes, quick, yes, yes, yes. Which is the best act. Yep. Um, and you said it's just like a 15-minute payoff, but for me – where that, where that starts is it starts when they get to the plane and they're coming back from Rome. And you've got Leo in the front of the plane. You've got Brad Pitt in coach. And Kurt Russell starts narrating. That's when he narrates and he recaps what Rick Dalton has done in Rome. Mm-hmm. Goes through his movies. They get back to Hollywood and, you know, they go to dinner. And then you've got, the t- you got Tate going to the El Coyote yep. for tacos and – and just the whole, I'm telling you, that is like some of the funniest, like, narration yes. ever. Like, he narrates every little, de- he talks about Brandy the dog. It's supposed to Angel be. Angel for them to get home. And, you know, and, and it's just like every little detail that he narrates, like, he's like, oh, and he sat down to watch TV, smoking a joint. It's supposed to be <laughs> like a crime drama where they narrate it, just like a Bill Bill Curtis doing the tr- true crime things on television. Yeah, he's like, oh, that was he's the aesthetic they were going television for. While smoking a joint. <laughs> well, let's talk about that third act because obviously the payoff is instead of um uh, the Manson uh, cult killing uh, Sharon Tate and her house guests, they try to kill Rick Dalton. Yes. Unfortunately, they run into Cliff Booth. Yes. And the question and Brandy, is, and Brandy, and Brandy, the real hero of the movie. The question is. <laughs> How true can we expect any of that to be? Because just before that, he has the acid sig. Could it all have just been a hallucination? It could have been. Because even a, he even are you real? We have an, <laughs> Yes, we have an unreliable source from that point out. Yeah. Well, and this is another thing Tarantino did. And we saw this with Inglorious Bastards. Is Tarantino likes to rewrite history a little bit. And... Part of what I got from this overall is Tarantino's part of rewriting history with this is that, and you kind of get hints of this throughout the movie because you hear fucking hippies. Ugh, hippies. Ugh, hippies. Everybody in Hollywood, at least in this setting, they hate hippies. Hippies is the the outsider, the stereotype. They hate the hippies and they talk down to the hippies and they roll their eyes at the hippies. And even that scene when Brad Pitt goes to the ranch. Mm-hmm. You kind of get this feeling like, oh, crap, he's going to die. Like, yep. they're going to attack oh, him. Yeah, they... And then you've got the couple riding the horses on the tour or whatever. You're like, oh, they're going to kill them. They kind of – you got this whole weird feeling. He and, then, and then he up. goes into the house, and he's like, I'm going to go say hi to him. And then he's like, you're like, that guy's dead. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I'm like, well, if he was dead in that house, he would smell it. But he's not noticing any smells. And Tarantino is very detailed where you're not going to have a decomposing body in a house and – Nobody's going to notice the smell. Right. Um, 
But yet, you're, you got that feeling like that guy's dead. All these people are going to attack him. And at the end, none of that happens. Yes. He goes there. He talks to the guy. He subverts. He, leaves, he beats the crap out of that guy who put a knife in his tire. And you know what I got? My whole impression of all this is that hippies are weak and that we can kick their ass. He subverts your expectations. Exactly. Although and, I'm sure you get your ass kicked by any hippie. Yeah. Uh, you're just a hippie, punch. But, and that was the thing. Is, and, then you've got, and then you've got the scene where... <laughs> Where, where the car comes up and Leo, drunk Leo, uh, Rick Dalton comes out with a pitcher of margaritas. <sighs> He's like, turn your car on! What do you come up here to smoke dope? He's like talking down to them. At the same time, you can see the gun in the car. Like, they're gonna kill him. Yep. Nope, doesn't happen. He talks down to them and they back down and they leave. And then they realize that was Rick Dalton. And, yep. and that's where the whole plan to kill Sharon Tate goes, goes out the window. Because they're like, oh, we can go kill this guy instead. Mm -hmm. He's drunk and, Probably an easy target. Like, let's go kill him instead. Um, at I the just same love time, him. it's like he talks down to them and they yes. just drive away. That I mean, the whole the whole the whole movie is them talking down to the hippies and brushing them off as like non-members of society and weak. And Tarantino presents them in that way because mm -hmm. even when they go into the house, they can easily just kick down the door and shoot Brad Pitt right there. But then he holds the gun, and even Brad Pitt's holding his gun like fingers, and he's laughing about it. <laughs> and he's what like, is your name? And, and, and he's like, not even he doesn't even feel threatened by the fact that they just came in with a gun and knives. He's like looking at him. He's like, I know you guys. You guys are at the ranch. You, you said your name was something. Uh, yeah, I'm something the funny. devil. He's like, no, 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 it was no, no. Stupider it was, it was than that. <laughs> It's like Rex. <laughs> Tex, uh, yeah! Tex, Tex, yeah! And then, and yeah. then Brandy goes to town. Oh, oh Brandy, I love you, the real Brandy. hero of the movie. Oh, uh, you're a fine girl, Brandy. Yes. I mean, and, and that whole scene with Brandy well, it, uh, killing the hippies. Oh. It goes beyond the even um, Quentin Tarantino violence. And actually, didn't have the usual blood um, spatter that Tarantino has. It's just... Complete becomes a cartoon, which also leads credence um, to it being possibly just an acid trip for him that none of it happened since you don't see the blood. That's true. I it's mean, just it, a theory. Just a theory. I, but, I mean, I don't really I don't really buy into that. I mean, I, no, think, I'm, I, I think it's just... It was Tarantino frenetic. Saying, it was hilarious. Tarantino saying, if these hippies would have crossed the wrong person, there's no way in hell they would have killed him. <laughs> like, I think that's, I mean, that's Tarantino's way of rewriting history. Just yes. like he looks at, we could have killed Hitler if we would have did something like this. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it was, it was great. It was frenetic. It was hilarious. And then Rick Dalton for apropos of nothing still has a flamethrower that's juiced. Yeah. And he, he even tells the team, he's like, yeah, I got a flamethrower in my tool shed. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that neat? Uh, but, which and, and, reminds and, me, we should all have flamethrowers in our and tool this, But this does lead me to the last <laughs> point, as we're going to have to close off here. What Quentin Tarantino was trying to basically do here was the basic Hollywood fairy tale. You have Rick Dalton, the down-on-his-luck um, uh, actor, trying to find his way back into the Hollywood pantheon. Has the most um, uh, hot director um, going right next door because of one event where um, uh, his best friend kills a bunch of hippies. He gets a chance to meet Sharon Tate, and by extension, Roman Polanski saving his career. Correct. It's a Hollywood fairy tale. Once upon a time in Hollywood. And and a couple things, and this, these are things I pick up on the second viewing. One one thing I picked up is when he first sees Polanski, he's in the car with with uh, Cliff, 
and and Terry, Tate and Polanski are going up to the gate. They drive in, and he's like, look at that. I got the hottest director yep. in Hollywood right next to me. He goes, I'm one pool party away from introducing yep. myself to him. And, and think about it how it plays out. He's in the pool, flamethrower, toast that chick, and then, like, he's kind of not even that, like – and that was what's cool about it, and it shows like he's not even as like hyped up as some people would be after yep. somebody breaks in your house. He's just like <laughs> these, these hippies, these stupid hippies trying to break into my house, and I I roasted this bitch with a flamethrower, and then and the guy's like, hey, you want to come up for a drink? Yeah, and there it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and then and then also, and here's the moment too, and and there was a big focus on this, is that when Sharon Tate opens the gates. Mm-hmm. You kind of get that. Here's the gates opening to his career. Yes, and, well, and that's I, sort of how it ends. I was expecting, to be quite honest, I was expecting them to continue pulling up, and you'd see the Hollywood sign. But that's that would have been a little too yeah. on the nose. But it is that time of the day, so we are going to have to call it quits, aren't we, Metal? Yes. So uh, this has been episode 105, and I am Metal John at Metal John Radio, and I am Brad Risto at Brad Risto on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We will be back soon for another episode of the Hillcrest Duo.